Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Live for Thursday, October 25th, 2018. I'm your host, Rob Zinkin. I have the good fortune of serving as Associate Vice President for Marketing at Indiana University. Great to be here in Bloomington, Indiana during another beautiful fall season. And I'm excited today to talk about design thinking in higher education. But before we get into that, a reminder that Marketing Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. You can be a part of our live broadcast today. Just use the Higher Ed Live, Higher Ed Live hashtag on Twitter and you can share your thoughts or ask any questions along the way. All episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com, or you can take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Last week on Marketing Live, I hosted an episode previewing the AMA Symposium for the Marketing of Higher Education. So if you're headed to AMA, November 4th through the 7th in Orlando, be sure to check out that episode, that podcast on your commute or whenever, and you will be all set and ready to go for AMA coming up in less than two weeks now. Hired Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. And today, again, we're going to get a crash course in design thinking, and I'm delighted to welcome Kim Thomas, who is marketing manager at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. She's in her fourth year there, managing all things marketing and branding for the school's 40-plus programs, and we'll learn about how she has utilized design thinking methodology in her work. She is currently working on her MBA there at Georgetown University, and she has founded Georgetown's first club for design thinking called Georgetown Design and Innovation. So interested to learn more about that, too. So, Kim, great to connect with you and welcome to the broadcast. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. Well, my, my first question is always to learn a little bit more about our guest backgrounds and something that wouldn't necessarily come across in your official bio. So I'll ask if there is something specific, whether that's an experience, a mentor, a book, anything along those lines that has influenced you and had a lasting impact on your professional journey. Yeah, um, so I uh, have about seven years of experience in marketing. I first worked in uh, hair products and have been in higher ed for the last few years. Um, and I really had no exposure to marketing until college. Um, I studied psychology at Duke for my undergrad and really fell in love with my consumer behavior classes. Um, and so that eventually led me into the marketing space. Um, so my, my whole marketing career um, has really been founded with this like love for people and consumers and understanding why they do certain things, what motivates them, how we can better connect. Um, uh, and, and so I, I think that's really why I love um, working in branding, um, this personality aspect of, of marketing. And I think that's also why I've been so drawn to design thinking. I've always felt really strongly about representing the person in the situation, um, understanding them and helping to make their life better. And that's what design thinking is all about. Great. Well, thank you for that. And what a what a terrific jumping off point for our discussion about design thinking. And for those perhaps who have no knowledge, no experience with design thinking, let's start with the basics. And what exactly is it? Okay. So first I want, um, when you think about design thinking, I want everyone to throw the word design from their minds. Um, I think when we think about um, design, we think of graphic designers, Photoshop, 
something in the arts. Um, and this often confuses people when they start learning about design thinking. Um, so throw that out the window to start off. Um, so design thinking is it's a problem solving framework. Um, you can think of design thinking as synonymous with human centered design. So it's a way to save, solve problems from the basic to the complex um, that just puts humans and human needs at the very center of the, of the problem solving process. So basically you're designing um, solutions for a user based on a deep understanding of their wants and needs. So what makes us different from other problem solving techniques? Um, we often solve problems with our own goals in mind rather than understanding how it will impact the end user. Um, and so one of my favorite examples, it's like a classic design thinking example, um, is the placement of sidewalks. I don't know if anybody's seen this graphic out there. If you do a quick Google search, it should pop right up. But um, we've all seen university quads um, that have nice paved sidewalks right through the middle of campus, um, but no one seems to end up using it. There's like always a dirt path right next to the sidewalk where the grass has been totally run down because everybody's been walking. Um, been walking on it. So this is the kind of thing that design thinking could have avoided. So if the quad designers took time to understand where people want to walk and why they want to walk there, uh, they could have designed a quad layout uh, to accommodate what was best for their user and ultimately save probably money and their own lawn um, in that way. So um, that's another great reason to use design thinking is that um, you can solve a problem in a way that gives you more bang for your buck really. Um, so uh, an example of like improving employee morale, for example, um, you might think that in order to boost morale or happiness, like you might need to give everyone raises or take them on an expensive outing. Um, but if you use design thinking, you might find that all they really need is a free coffee once in a while. And that might make them happier overall than if they had um, a fancy outing. So um, it can be very powerful and eye-opening, um, and that's why I love it. Mm -hmm. Those are great examples, and and you you've got my mind stirring thinking about what I've read about design thinking and and the little bit that I've learned, and and the example popped into my head from I think it was 2013 or thereabouts with IDEO working with the San Francisco United School District, which I think is the largest meal provider in the city of San Francisco. And they had only about half of the students who qualified for free and reduced lunch were actually eating it and taking advantage of it. So, of course, what do you do? Well, you you improve the food and you make sure that you know the food's better or more appealing to the students. And that ended up having essentially no effect. Mm -hmm. And so IDEO came in and discovered that you know, actually talked to the students and improve the overall experience and found out that, well, lunch is social time and when they have the best opportunity to interact with one another. And so they eventually changed into this experience of a grab and go setup and dramatically increased the, the, the school lunch usage. So, yeah, and, and I think to, to your point, there's so many different ways that can be applied. So certainly curious about uh, practical examples or ways that, uh, whether it's a certain project, but ways that, that you can apply design thinking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, totally. I have some I can share uh, a little bit later from my own work. And then that would be that would be great, uh, especially getting a sense of, of how it works in, in terms of your your work every day in marketing and branding and in higher education. But also in terms of background, if you could give us a little bit of a, a background on 
how you were introduced to design thinking. You know, when did you realize that this could be a, a useful tool or useful methodology in your work? Yeah, um, so I was actually introduced to design thinking about two years ago now. Um, I took a two-week intensive course um, through my MBA program called Design Thinking and Service Consulting, um, taught by Evelyn Williams. Uh, so for the course, we were thrown into the design thinking process from day one, which was very intimidating and very scary. Um, but in retrospect, it was definitely the best way to learn. And I highly recommend for anybody trying to learn design thinking to just jump, jump right in um, from day one. So um, for the class, we were tasked with redesigning um, the evening or part-time MBA student experience at Georgetown, which is, I'm, I'm in that program. So I am the user in this case. Um, so seeing the like incredible solutions that we were able to come with, up with through the process in just that, that two-week time period was just mind-blowing. So that really proved to me how valuable design thinking can be because I, I saw the direct impact um, being a user myself for the solution. Um, so then having learned design thinking in a higher ed context, it was such an easy transition to see how, how I could use it in my job as a, a marketer at Georgetown SES, which our students are also part-time graduate students. So it was a really like easy one-to-one -one, um, to move it over there for work. So I actually just um, helped lead an internal team through a month-long design thinking sprint um, in partnership with one of our agencies um, with the goal of improving the student experience at SES. So um, right now we're in the midst of rolling out the solutions um, that we came up with, and it's been really exciting to see them all start to take hold. Wow, that's terrific. And a great way to position marketing is, uh, as well when we wanna jump into you know, ads or executions or whatever, but at the heart of it, it's the it's the experience mm -hmm. that, that students are having. So that's that's great. And in terms of giving us the the, the breakdown or understanding, even just at a high level mm -hmm. of what design thinking is, and and you gave us a great uh, definition of the of the problem solving framework. But I know there are five steps to the design thinking process. So could you take us through the the five steps, even at a, again a high level, to better familiarize us with the, the process? Yeah, um, so there are five phases in the design thinking process. And some people word these a little bit differently, but for the most part, um, they are empathy, uh, define, ideate, prototype, and the finalist test. So I'll give a, a brief description of each phase and then maybe a few tips um, based on my own experience and learning um, for, for how to, to handle those phases, if that sounds good. Excellent. Okay, cool. So the first phase is um, empathize. And this is really the foundation of design thinking. It's all about understanding the people or the users in context of your problem. Uh, so this is often carried out through observing users um, or empathy interviews is what they call them, but it's really just conversations with your user um, to, to gain understanding. So you're looking to find out who your users are, how and why they do things a certain way, um, their physical needs, their emotional needs, how they think about the world, approach the world, and, and what things are really important to them. Um, and I think this, when you say it out loud, it sounds pretty straightforward, understand your user. Um, but it's it's trickier than you might think to remove your bias or get the, the real answers out of your users for how and why they do things. They might not even know themselves. Um, so you want to come into the empathy phase, uh, throwing out all of your assumptions um, and having a real sense of curiosity about your user and their problem. Um, so my, I have three big tips for this phase. 
One is to look for disconnects. People often say one thing, but they act in another way. Um, and these disconnects that you notice can really offer up some insightful um, uh, things about your users' needs and, and that they might not be able to articulate themselves. Um, second tip is to not be afraid of silence um, and digging deeper when you're interviewing somebody. So if your user tells you that um, they like a small wallet, for example, um, ask why they like it small. You, you might uncover something in that, in that follow-up question. Um, and if they don't answer right away, just wait. Silence is usually when the big breakthroughs come forth. Um, and it's harder as an interview to sit in silence than you think. Um, but trust me, it's worth it. It's a good, it's a good thing to force yourself to do. Um, and then my third tip here is to interview uh, your most extreme users. So instead of interviewing people that have needs that fall around the average, um, look for people that fall on the ends of the spectrum for your problem. So in a higher ed context, that might be the student that isn't involved on campus. They just want to uh, get to class, earn the credential, get out, and that's it. Um, and then on the other end, you might interview the hyper-involved student. Why do they like being involved? What motivates them there? Um, and then maybe it's you interview part-time students that are also parents. They're an extreme user. Or an online student would be an extreme user for um, a, a program that's mostly on campus. Um, so these users have more extreme needs and often provide more insight than the average user would. Um, and if you design a solution with those extreme users in mind, it's likely to be the best solution for all of your users. So that's that's phase one. Um, okay. okay. Uh, the next one is define. Um, the define phase, personally, I think this is the toughest one. Um, define is all about taking all of the information you learned um, in that empathy phase and then making sense of it all in the context of your problem. Um, so there's one main deliverable from define phase and that's called your problem statement. And this statement is the guiding force that will take you through the next three phases. So it's really important to really nail it down um, in, in phase two. And it's the problem that you're ultimately trying to solve. Uh, and in order to define your problem, you're you're looking for themes and big insights that stood out when you were talking to your users in the empathy phase. Um, and these form your point of point of view or your POV, um, which has three elements. You can sort of think about it in a table. You have your user. Um, I like to think about that like a marketing persona. Um, so it's a little bit more detailed than like a student. Right, it's like the part-time student can. Um, so you have your user, and then you want to list out their most important needs, um, and then the most eye-opening insights behind those needs, um, and then you'll use those three things to make a, a problem statement. Um, so a problem statement usually sounds like user A needs a way to solve need B because of this particular insight. So part-time student Kim needs a cold and healthy class night dinner because she doesn't have time to pick up or heat up her food after her commute to class, um, but staying healthy and eating well is, is important to her. So that's that's what you'll end up with for a problem statement. So you might, you might brainstorm like 10 different problem statements, um, and then you'll ultimately whittle it down to a single statement at the end of this phase. Um, and I think this seems easier when the task at hand is something like design your, your evening meal for a student. Um, but when you get to something more complex, like redesign a graduate school student experience, 
um, it becomes harder to get it into one sentence. Um, so I have a couple tips for the fine face. Um, one is to make sure that your problem statements are broad enough that it will stimulate um, creativity and freedom. You don't want to make it too narrow um, or too broad, but you also want it to be narrow enough that um, you're not trying to like conquer the world. You're not trying to take on something that's too daunting. Um, and I think it's also really tempting to mash up all of your different problem statements um, together into a like Frankenstein statement, um, but that will only make your life harder later. So really choosing one path to go down and one problem to solve um, is the best way to do it. Um, and then I think it's important to remember that um, the humans are the reason for your problem statement. So don't lose sight of the user as the foundation of your statement. Um, and again, it's not just my user is a student. It's it's a more specific user, um, like those personas I mentioned in marketing. So it's the part-time student that wants to get their degree done as fast as possible because they're not interested in, in wasting time, that sort of thing. Um, and then lastly, the statement should be actionable um, and short, succinct, straightforward. So that is phase two, that's defined. Um, the next phase is ideate. So this is the fun part. Um, ideate is exactly what it sounds like. Um, uh, in this phase, your goal is to just come up with as many possible solutions to your user's problem um, as you can. Um, and this is this is what you generally think of when you see design thinking. It This is the sticky note phase. So you sticky notes all over the whiteboard, that sort of thing. Um, so each sticky note represents a possible ideated solution to your user's problem. So the key, um, in ideate is no boundaries. Any and all ideas are good ideas. Um, the ideas can be impossible. They can cost millions of dollars. They can be big, they can be small, can be anything. Um, and it's not about coming up with the right idea or the right solution. It's about coming up with the largest pool of possibilities from which you can choose from later. You never know what might spur creativity or resonate with your user. So more is better here. Um, and so my biggest tip for ideation is uh, to just use your imagination. Take rationality out of the equation. I'm a very rational person, so this, this is hard for me to do, but it's pretty fun, a good exercise. Um, yeah, and just get some weird stuff down on paper. Um, they, those usually inspire uh, the best solutions. So that's, that's ideate. Um, a fourth phase is prototyping. Uh, so the goal of prototyping is to take uh, a handful of your uh, ideated solutions from the prior phase um, and make them into something that your user can experience. Um, so this, there's a prototype can be can take a many different forms. So it could be just a drawing and a post-it. You can make a model out of construction paper. Um, you could make a mock-up using office tools like a Sharpie and rubber bands. Um, it could be a storyboard that you've drawn out or done digitally, uh, clay mold, even 3D printing is popular now for, uh, for prototyping as well. Um, so my tips for prototyping, um, they're prototypes and nothing more. So don't spend too much time or energy on a prototype. Um, as long as the user gets the gist, that's all you're really going for. Um, and so your prototype is good enough. I'd say cheap and quick are the winning criteria for your, for your prototype. Um, especially you don't want to put too much stock into an idea that might just get thrown out later. 
So, um, and then my second tip is um, don't forget to keep your user in mind. I'm sensing a theme here, user in mind throughout everything. Um, so you wanna think about what are you hoping to test with your prototype with, with them. Um, make sure you build your prototype in a way that's gonna test out the idea that you're, that you're looking for feedback on. Um, and then that brings us to the last, the last phase, which is uh, fifth and final phase is test. Um, so this is when you actually take those prototypes and you put them in front of your users um, in order to get their feedback. So testing is a chance to learn more about your user another time. Um, and then you're gonna incorporate the feedback that you learn here um, back into your solutions to continue to refine them and make them better. So most times um, design thinking is described in a linear fashion, but you, you definitely go back and forth, um, especially in those last three, four, and five phases, ideate through test. Um, so ideally when you're testing your prototypes, you wanna do it with an actual user. Um, but this isn't a big thing. It can just be a 30 second, two minute conversation um, where you explain the idea in one sentence and ask for their feedback. So you might just ask um, like, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Um, if you could change anything, what would it be? Um, and what would you absolutely not change? I think that's a good, a great question to, to always ask. Um, so all of this testing and, and conversations with your user just, just helps you understand them more and it might bring up insights that were previously unknown through the empathy interviews that you did. Um, so yeah, take this info, go back to the drawing board, refine, refine your prototype, refine your solutions. You might need to come up with more solutions after this. Um, and so yeah, you'll do this, this phase several times. Um, and that'll only make your solution better in the end. Um, so my big tip for test is to make sure you're showing rather than telling um, before you try and pitch your idea to your, in full to your user. Just see what they make of it first with as little information um, as you can give them. Maybe it's like give it a name, show them the physical prototype, and then just see where they go with it. So their first assumption about what they're seeing might teach you something. Um, that will ultimately improve your solution. So less, less is more there. Yeah, and that's it. That's all five phases. That's design thinking. Wow! Wow! Well, we well, we, we, promised we promised a, a crash course in design thinking, and and you delivered. So thank you for that, and going through and giving your your tips and uh, spurred lots of thoughts. And your your emphasis of the point about tapping into the perspective of those that you're solving for and, and trying to get at the heart of the problem reminds me of some work that has been done at Indiana University and one of our uh, one of our entities, the Alumni Association, has been a leader in terms of utilizing design thinking and, and went through a, a comprehensive process to use design thinking to help redesign the membership experience. Mm -hmm. And a, a couple of things that they did as part of that, which I thought were really fascinating, were uh, one, they asked alumni to write either a love letter or a breakup letter to the Alumni Association. <laughs> and, and as you would imagine, learned all sorts of interesting things. Right. Uh, another thing that they did is they did some graffiti walls and they went, and we have multiple campuses and they went to grad fairs at our different campuses and showed up and they asked students what they, um, how students wanted to experience Indiana University once they had graduated. 
and they asked them to draw a picture of their life one year from now. Ooh. And again, got some interesting things and just very unique approaches to to get at things that you might not get to otherwise and say, a you know, traditional survey or, or whatever that may may be. So mm -hmm. uh, really, it was really interesting to see that that process unfold and also appreciate your point about it not being linear. And I'll I'll remember to use the the term phases and not steps. Oh, uh, because interchangeable. Yes. Um, okay, well, that was great. And again, thanks for, for going through that. And, and now in terms of applying all that, if you could share how you have used design thinking in your, your role at, at Georgetown, and you touched on that uh, a little bit, but how design thinking can be applied to, to help us in, in terms of the, the marketing work and, and all the, the range of things that we do within marketing and, and brand strategy and brand development. Yeah. Um I think overall, design thinking is helpful for anybody that has a user that they're trying to understand and communicate with and ultimately provide some sort of solution for. So for marketing, this is, you know, this is at the core of everything we do. Um, so I think it's it's been helpful to draw upon some of these strategies that I've learned and practiced through the design thinking process um, just for understanding my user better. Um, my my student, my consumer, um, all of those things, which in my case is prospective students. Um, and I actually uh, did that for um, a large collateral redesign project we had this year. Um, so at, um, at SES, we had a, our program brochures were um, in need of redesign. Uh, they, they were text heavy, um, maybe overly informative, and were just generally out of date. Um, so I was tasked with um, strategizing how to, strategizing how to um, redesign these 25 program brochures um, and didn't want it to feel like every other higher higher ed brochure out there. Um, so of course, I turned to design thinking uh, for the project. And so I used a few tools um, from design thinking to understand what that end user, the prospective student, um, was really looking for in a brochure um, and I create or helped cater the content um, to, to those things. So I did some empathy interviews with our admissions team um, because they attend program fairs and are interacting with prospective students all the time. Um, I empathy interviewed our program staff, um, some prospective students, um, and then I ideated and made a prototype of my design and tested that prototype with my users and then refined uh, the design based on feedback that I got from them. Um, so the end result was a very visual infographic like design uh, that gives prospective students um, everything they need to know at a glance, but not too much information that they can find. They can go to the website and find and find more information on that later. So it basically has, a, they wanted to know like what kind of classes can I take in this program? How long will it take me to earn the degree? How much is it gonna cost me? Um, what, what does the student body look like? Who am I going to be in class with? Um, what kind of salary or job opportunities can I get after graduation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that all of those insights were worked into the design. Um, and we actually just received a gold award from UPSIA for, for the design. Um, so I think that that speaks for itself that it, it has been effective. Um, but I think the takeaway here is that I didn't do a full on design thinking like every single step in the process. Um, I just used pieces of it and applied it to my situation, um, just use the techniques uh, and it still 
works extremely well. So I, I don't want people to think of it as too daunting or that it has to be done in a group. Um, yeah, you can you can apply it to collateral, to experiences, anything. And congrats on the award. That's great. Thank you. Nice, nice validation for uh, for the process and the and the outcome. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting the uh, thinking about design thinking in in a higher ed context, and I think one of the challenges is it's so easy to to fall into the the typical higher ed trap of you know talking to ourselves about ourselves and being so organization centric. So the, the emphasis on the on the user and the audience is. Uh, is great and I think very, very valuable. We actually have a couple of our team members here who are going through a graduate certificate program at our Indianapolis campus, IUPUI, at the Heron School of Art and Design. And there is a, a new program in design thinking and collaborative innovation. And it's been really interesting to, to learn about their experiences. And of course, they've used uh, work-related things in terms of applying it. And I think a, a couple of just high level takeaways from that and, and learning about their experience has been the, the, the importance of co-creation. And, you know, I, I think in higher ed, we're obviously we're very committee driven, we're consensus driven and getting buy-in, you know, we want to get buy-in, but sometimes it buy-in is not enough that it, it, it really needs to be at a, a greater level and get to the point of co-creation. Uh, and then the other thing is, being a little bit more comfortable with ambiguity, especially as we work with schools and units where we want to go in and, and we have a, a discipline process and discipline approach and, and we, we know the path that we're going to take and to be willing to undertake a process with a partner and not exactly know where that, that outcome, you know, where it's going to take you and what that outcome is going to be. Yeah, I think a lot of times we come in with our own agenda and what we want to accomplish. And so design thinking sort of reverses that role, puts that in the user, in the user's space. Yeah, you actually uh, brought up another point too, that in higher ed, we're pretty lucky when it comes to design thinking because our users come to our doorstep every single day. Mm -hmm. And for like companies that make products, for example, like they don't, they have to go out and find their users. Um, it's a little bit harder to like interview them one-on-one, -on -one, but even in the, the design thinking, projects that I've done um, in my role at Georgetown SES, like we can walk downstairs and just talk to students um, at any point. And they're, I guarantee that this will happen on your campuses too, but um, they're more than willing to share their, their insights and feedback. Yeah. And speaking of this in a, in a higher ed context and while design thinking is certainly not new, it does seem to be getting more and more attention in higher education, including some critiques of it. But what do, what do you think are some of the misconceptions about design thinking that, that people may have or not understand? And I thought your initial point about just design itself was a great one. But any, anything, any other misunderstandings that, that some may have about, about design thinking as it gets more attention in higher ed? Yeah. Um, from my understanding, I think there's some of the conversations about design thinking in higher ed has centered around replacing some of those well-established curricula curricula like liberal arts degrees with design thinking instead. Um, and I think that's definitely a bold statement and not something I claim to know anything anything about. Um, but I think it's an entirely different conversation to talk about using the framework of design thinking in existing curricula or using it at the administrator level um, to improve the higher ed experience, um, especially as our students 
um, are changing and the industry is changing so much uh, and adapting. Um, so I think there's no question about the usefulness of design thinking in, in that sort of context. Um, also, I think um, a lot of naysayers out there might be looking at the design thinking process from a high level and, and thinking, wow, this seems like super basic and rudimentary. How can it actually be that useful? Um, and I think it, from the surface, it does look rudimentary and basic, like focus on your user, have a bias towards action, show, don't tell, like all those things um, sound straightforward, um, but they're all harder to do once you're in the process. And I think that's why the framework itself is so helpful is it really keeps you on track and makes you think about your user all the time. Um, and so I think as humans, we, we want to solve problems quickly and we really like our own ideas a lot of the times. So it's hard to rid yourself of your own bias um, and to solve problems free from whatever your own goal goals are, like we were just talking about. Um, but again, the framework helps you to do that. So I was a skeptic at first too, but after you've gone through it um, and you see how much you can uncover, it's it's pretty eye-opening. Um, and then lastly, I think there's a misconception that design thinking can only be applied to these big game-changing projects um, where you had the time to go through every step of the process in full. And I've, I've sort of touched on this already as well, but um, you can use design thinking for any anything where a human is part of the process. Uh, you could do a mini sprint in 45 minutes if you needed to, or you could do it over a course of a year or a few months. Um, so it's very adaptable and the more you practice, um, the better you'll get at it and you'll be able to apply it to more things and see see where you can apply it in other ways. Great. Well, I mentioned the Georgetown Design and Innovation Club that you have established there, which is which sounds very cool. So I want to be sure and ask you about that. And what's the goal of the of the club and, and what will students be exposed to? What are the types of experiences that they'll they'll get as part of that? Yeah, this is an exciting new venture. Um, so I've I've co-founded Georgetown's first club in design thinking. Um, along with my MBA classmate, Tyler Johansson. Um, so we'd both seen great value in the application of design thinking, both in the classroom, um, but also in our jobs. Um, but we felt like we didn't have a resource to go to to continue that learning and application outside of the classes that we took um, or, or running our own processes. Um, so we created this club for graduate students across the university. And that was really important to us to make sure that it was um, across, it included med school, it, it's MBAs, it's foreign service students um, across across graduate programs um, because design thinking has such a wide application um, anywhere where people are involved. We really wanted to get some different perspectives in the room. Um, so as you said, the, the club is called Design Plus Innovation or DNI, um, and this is our inaugural semester. So we've had a a lot of exciting programming ideas that are in the works right now. Um, we've been design thinking the design thinking club, which has been a pretty fun, a pretty fun task. Um, but ultimately, um, we're just really hoping to connect students at Georgetown that are interested um, in design thinking and how you can use it um, to build a community of innovation at the school and in the DC area. Um, so we're hoping through the club we can provide opportunities for people who are brand new to design thinking, people who are advanced design thinkers and want to build their skills and practice applying them in a variety of disciplines. So we have hands-on workshops. We're going to break out, break down each of the phases and learn special techniques that we can do for prototyping, that sort of thing. Um, 
where they're going to try and do collaborations with businesses in DC, maybe offering pro bono consulting work. Um, if anybody's interested out there, let us know. Um, and then just using how you can use design thinking in a professional setting, how you can pitch to your leadership that it's a, a good practice to undertake, um, host design challenges, competitions, that sort of thing. Anything where we can build skills um, and just connect people. So anything is possible right now. Um, and I'm just proud to be representing the, such a passionate community at Georgetown. Wonderful. Well, best of luck Thank you. As, you, as you move forward with that. Thank you. And hopefully from today, there have been some who are now inspired to want to go forward and implement design thinking in some way, shape or form. So with that in mind, what advice, Kim, would you give any recommendations for someone to get started and, and how they can begin leveraging it? And or even just any any thoughts on where people should go if they're inspired and, and simply want to learn more about it? Yeah. Um, so as a higher ed professional, of course, my first answer is to um, check what courses are offered at a university that's near you um, or have accredited online courses in design thinking. Um, I think IDEO, even you mentioned IDEO earlier, they're sort of the godfather of design thinking. So anything they offer um, is going to be top notch, I'm sure. I haven't taken it myself, but um, I know they have an on-demand Introduction to design thinking, um, and then I think they have a certificate as well that's probably all online based. Um, and then the Stanford D School is also another great institution that's connected to IDEO. Um, so they have a virtual crash course in design thinking, um, and I think they a lot of their resources um, and process guides are available for download um, from online. So those have really in depth detail about um, each of the phases and worksheets and that sort of thing that you can use to. Um, to like walk through the phases um, on your own if you need to. Um, and then at SES, we have um, a totally online design management and communications degree, which has some design thinking courses um, worked into that. So definitely check that out if you're if that's up your alley. Um, but yeah, overall, if you can do a hands-on course or workshop, um, I think that's the best way to really learn it. Um, especially because you need somebody to push you through those biases and to remember to think of your user, that sort of thing. Um, so I, this, because it's such a growing um, topic, design thinking is, is really hot right now. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of businesses or undergrad or graduate students out there that are looking to build up their schools um, or their client bases um, and would offer to partner with universities pro bono to do, to do a project with you. Um, that's what we ended up doing with our agency. Um, we were able to partner with them to do a design, design think the student experience. Um, um, and so that's, and that's also something that we're hoping to do with the, the club that I mentioned is offer some um, free resources for people. Um, and then I, lastly, there's um, like, in, I know in DC at least we have a meetup. There's a meetup group for design thinking. So just, searching out in your city if there's a community that already exists uh, for design thinkers and they offer workshops, that sort of thing. So all of those are good, good avenues. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Kim, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I feel like we should have a follow-up episode at some point to find out all that you've accomplished and all that you've done through the, through the new club. Oh yeah, totally. I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next year brings. And in addition to all the great insight that you've shared about design thinking today, which has been great, I also enjoy just hearing your passion about it. And that's certainly come through today. So 
thanks again for being on the on higher ed live thank you it's been great Thanks again to Kim Thomas, Marketing Manager at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Thanks, as always, to M. Stoner, which makes Higher Ed Live possible. And once again, hope to see everyone at AMA coming up on November the 4th through the 7th in Orlando. I'm Rob Zinkin. Thanks again for tuning in to Marketing Live on the Higher Ed Live Network.